Hello and welcome back to Kicking Off with EADF, the official podcast of El Arte del Fútbol. After our first episode went live, quite a few of you shared your feedback and gave us some kind words of encouragement. We really appreciate that and thank you for your support. We look forward to more responses in the future. Today, our topic of discussion is going to focus on a rampaging football project in Italy that has captivated the hearts and minds of football fans, pundits, journalists and tactical analysts all over the world for the past two years. Yes, you have guessed that right, I'm talking about Gian Piero Gasperini's Atalanta. To be honest, they have played some box office football this year and we'll take a closer look at them. For those of you who aren't aware, Atalanta are a small club in Bergamo, Lombardy, Italy founded in 1907. They are also affectionately known as Regina delle Provinciali, which translates to Queen of Provincial Clubs. This is to mark the fact that they are the most consistent team not based in a regional capital in Italy. They have won the Coppa Italia in 1963 and had a handful of European appearances in the UEFA Cup. Today we won't be talking about their past though. Instead, we'll look at their current project and state of affairs at the club. We'll discuss the tactical nuances in their team, the players who have shown, we'll dig deeper into their stats and talk about their Champions League run. Before we begin the show, I'd like to introduce our guests today. First up, we have Ritik joining us all the way from San Francisco, California. Hi Ritik, how are you doing? Hi Anubhav, uh, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Ritik, um, as Anubhav mentioned before i live in san francisco i've been um writing for arte de football for i think the last four or five months um i my most recent article you can actually take a look is also on another italian club uh, ss napoli but more specifically on uh, the exploits of the manager genaro gattuso you can uh, check that article out on arte de football and yeah Okay, Ritik. Thanks. Thanks for that. We'll definitely plug in that uh, link. Uh, moving on, we also have Aryan with us. Aryan, uh, what's up? Hi, Anubhav. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Aryan and uh, I've been with uh, EADF for uh, more than a year now, since March 2019. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. It's been really fun uh, writing for the website, covering topics that people don't ordinarily talk about when it comes to online football writing and uh, yeah i'm very excited about this uh, podcast uh, looking forward to have many more engaging discussions and especially today's uh, atalanta are so exciting i'm raring to talk about them yeah yeah and um, we had a chat also we've done a lot of research on their play so i'm really looking forward to you know getting cracking um thanks for being here and finally yeah. we have uh, rishikesh dabir um last time i called him uh, david and I, i was wrong so i'd like to apologize rishikesh uh, i hope i got your name right this time uh, thanks for coming back hi, hi everyone uh, yeah you got it right this time around it's fine so <laughs> yeah yeah i just wanted to correct that um, and uh, i'll be uh, your host for the day my name is anubhav sarkar uh, so yeah let's get started with rishikesh uh, rishikesh can you uh, tell us a bit about the manager jean piero gasperini and his story so far uh, what are your thoughts okay so this guy is i think he is one of his own uh, he is he can be rated as one of the best managers in europe right now without a doubt 
so this is a 62 year old italian he had a playing he had a pretty i mean uh, he didn't have a glorious playing career he, he mostly played in teams such as palermo uh, ma- mainly he started at juventus but mainly he played in the third and second division of italian football for most of his career uh, his coaching okay. began in 1994 with juventus his youth setup and he was there till 2003 so for around uh, okay like 9 10 years he was in with juventus's youth setup in 2003 he moved to crotone and in first season in in his first season he won promotion to the serie b with the club but his best oh, to this date before atlanta was at genoa in uh, genoa he last he joined genoa in 2006 and he was there in 2010 and he graded genoa to a fifth place finish in 2008 and 2009 season uh he he had okay. the he that genoa team boasted the likes of diego milito and thiago motta in them so yeah it was a pretty good team and uh, okay. it was also apparent by the that time italian champion jose mourinho who said that gasperini was the coach who made the most who made it most difficult for him to win matches against genoa so that big praise coming from one of the best managers ever yeah and after that he got his first big break at inter in 2010 but it was short lived as he was sacked in october in like 3 months okay. he without winning a game and he had a, another couple of more unsuccessful spells at palermo but then in 2016 he joined atlanta and from there he has been on a upward trajectory for a while now so they first yeah. season they finished fourth then they finished seventh but uh, the, i think there are a lot of reasons for that we'll discuss it later and then they th- finished third last season as we all know and now they're in the champions league and i think they also have an outside shot of winning the scudetto so yeah that's the background mm. of an outside shot yeah <laughs> yeah so you mentioned he is possibly one of the elite managers at europe in europe right now um i mean you got to say that there is some tactical basis behind that so um i like to put this to aryan um i i i've read a bit about the club and they like to go with the three in the back and four across midfield and you know one two up top and their wing backs also have a lot of impetus going forward but that's just over the surface so what do you know what can you tell us about Uh, the tactical structure that uh, Gasparini has implemented in Atalanta over the past three years. Uh, yeah, so like Rishikesh said, uh, I fully agree with him. Uh, Gasparini has been an absolute revelation, and especially this season. And I mean, I think last season I'd say was their breakout year. They've really taken the entire world by storm. So uh, yeah, like you said, uh, they prefer to go with a three at the back setup. uh they generally have two different setups uh, that they go with uh, depending on players available if they're rotating or not but uh, yeah it's either a 3412 or a 3421 and uh, the key for atalanta is uh, they i mean they seem to be very fluid in terms of interchanging their positions during the game so okay i mean yeah so they they emphasize a lot on overloading the wide areas and uh, i mean from what i have observed uh, most of their attacks particularly come from the left uh so what they do is that uh, 
even the center i mean they when they're playing with the 3421 uh two of the center mids uh, one of the wing backs and even a center back uh, the wide center back generally occupies uh the wide area on the pitch and uh, they generally tend to have about four or five players operating in that uh, vertical zone and uh, okay due to this the style they have developed is that i mean it's it's absolutely incredible i mean they constantly create dangerous goal scoring positions and uh, they take a lot of shots i think they're one of the teams who take uh, the most shots on target per game okay aryan uh, i yeah. just had a small doubt uh, i read yeah. somewhere that they focus on one on one marking throughout the pitch they do not go with zonal at all and every single player has one player to mark and at some times they also switch during the match which makes it very confusing for the opposition team yes is that something that's happening also absolutely but uh, i mean it's not uh, necessarily a man mark per se uh but okay. uh, yeah i mean the wide players especially the wing backs and the wide center backs uh, when the ball uh, uh, when out of possession if the ball is on those areas they aggressively press the man and try to close him down uh, uh, immediately but uh, when uh, moving through the center uh, they generally tend to press in triangles which is actually very very interesting to watch so at any point okay. they are all covering two forward passing options I think to piggyback off of one of uh, Aryan's um, other points when he talked about, you know, generating power from the wide areas. One thing I've noticed about uh, Atalanta whenever I've been able to watch them this season, it's always difficult to catch some of these games in San Francisco. The timings are really off. But um, getting back to Atalanta is that when you have uh, players like Hatboa, you know, running on the right side or maybe even. you know in midfielders like Gosens getting pushed to the left what that yeah. leaves you mm-hmm. is this clear channel of space in the center and a free role for Alejandro Gomez to wreak havoc because yeah. unlike a lot of other tens that you see you know there's a whole other argument to be had on the death of the number 10 you know players like Mesut Ozil James Rodriguez even Juan Mata who can't operate in that number 10 zone Gasparini's almost sort of given a revitalized view of what that role is but it takes someone like um uh, papu gomez to really bring that together because he stays in the midfield channels but he doesn't get dragged too deep a lot and okay. a lot of the play doesn't go through him per se but he's always free at the right times to make the right passes that's why he's gotten as many as you know um as many as i think 16 assists um in yeah. all competitions this season but that wide the shifting play to the wide gives players like gomez you know the real free role in the center which can really yeah. be helpful for any oncoming traffic you know handle defensively yeah. or just slicing the ball through yeah absolutely okay so rishikesh uh, you also wanted to add a few points on this uh, do you think um, gasparini is an italian coach because he doesn't give me those typical italian coach vibes um in terms of put pushing that pressure on the players to you know uh, press very hard or what would you have to say about that yes, uh, i mean he is not a typical italian coach like you had you know like uh, very previous other with they are mostly focused on the uh, defense and everything of that stuff sort but i think you know uh, he's he is very interesting he has a a clear philosophy a clear style of play a clear vision on how he wants his team to play 
and that's how he always tries to implement it in his teams maybe that's why it didn't work out at inter and or it didn't work out at palermo because he didn't have the right players to suit his tactical system but i have read a few interviews of his and he has he has always said that he, he likes to play with a clear philosophy and a clear plan and the clear plan right now seems to be the 3412 which we have all talked about right now yeah yeah, yeah. and it's and it is very it's very interesting that he's brought that up because one of the one of like when you said italian managers this entire atalanta squad reminds me a lot of 14 i think it's 14 15 or 13 for um 13 it's 13 14 um ac fiorentina under under vincenzo montella and you'll and you'll notice that there is one constant between atalanta right now and montella back then is both of those teams had joseph ilicic and both mm-hmm. of those Yeah. yeah, modification for three four one two or three four two one, and in in place yeah. of in place of you know maybe some of the forwards or the midfielders scoring a lot of goals, you had a lot of output coming from Juan Cuadrado. You had a midfield steal of uh, Borja Valero. You had Mario Gomez up front with a lot of um, you know lots of similarities between both the sides. And I think Fiorentina ended up fourth that season, which was a big, okay. big achievement for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Point, so, that little, you, you know, comparison point. I think it's it's yeah. very common between all the Italian managers that we prefer a three at the back system. I mean, you can also watch Antonio Conte. He always tries team to yeah. play three man defense. Casperini, you got Montella also. Yeah, but uh, yeah, great. So uh, Ritik mentioned uh, Josip Ilicic. So on that note, I'd like to uh, bring the discussion on the players. who are really making a mark over the past two years so yeah we've heard of elisic we've heard of zapata we've heard of alessandro gomez um who do you think um, apart from these front three front four players uh, is the engine behind this team um, any one of you want to take that uh, oh the, yeah i i definitely like to say something about this because i have a very very clear idea of who i pick as uh, atalanta's player of the season Uh, over any of these regardless i mean even if we were to include them in the conversation for me okay uh, a very left field shout quite uh, literally and uh, literally and figuratively but uh, i'm going to go with robin hosens because he's been he's been absolutely insane i mean from mm. left he's just contributed around uh, just in the league alone he's contributed nine goals and eight assists and i mean if wow. you look at uh, atalanta's uh, best results uh, i mean their biggest wins their most important wins uh, you'll find that hosens has either i mean he's put in an absolute shift regardless but more often than not he's always popped up with a goal or an assist and that's incredible uh, do you think we might see uh, robin hosens maybe get a run out with um, the mannschaft you think Joachim Löw might be looking at him even though they play a different system i think he's well worth a shout at 26 years old i think he's well worth a shout of you know at least being given a chance at the at Absol- the german national team absolutely i certainly hope so i he definitely deserves it okay yeah actually yeah. i will look forward Mar- to that marcel halstenberg has had an equally good season so i think he has booked that spot but gossens definitely deserves a shout yeah Um, uh, Rishikesh, uh, what can you tell us about uh, Zapata and Ilicic uh, for those who haven't watched them uh, play their trade? 
Okay, so I think Zapata, whenever I watch Duan Zapata, the only thing that screams to me is that he will be the perfect player for any Premier League team. Like he's strong, he's <laughs> physical, he works hard, he runs hard, he presses hard, and he also has got a good knack for goals. So any Premier League striker who are uh, any Premier League team who are looking for a striker can definitely look at him. But I think their uh, front two is uh, pretty interesting. I mean, the front three. It's either a three-four-one-two or a three-four-three based on the situations, and they are all really fluid, and they really, you know, they interchange passes, and they really, uh, I mean, they focus a lot of on positional positional rotation around it. So uh, yes, yeah, they com- okay. they complement each other really well. Uh, Ilicic and Zapata, and both are having uh, very very good seasons. I mean, Zapata was injured for a while, and he still has around I mean, I think sixteen or seventeen goals in the league alone. And Ilicic, as we all saw, he, I think he single-handedly decimated Valencia in both legs. So, mm, in the Champions League. So, uh, Ritik, uh, there's another player in this uh, mix-up um, who has really banged in the goals. Luis Muriel. Uh, what can you tell us about him? I mean, I remember again, the Sevilla days. Yeah. Um, again, Luis Muriel is uh, a forward who is who offers maybe just a dimension more. To their attack, um, you know, obviously another Colombian um, attacker. You've seen him in tournaments. You've heard about him, especially from Sevilla. I think this season he's really stepped up to provide a lot of goals in you know certain games where they might have been struggling to get the ball up front. I know what he does with um, with uh, Gomez at some points is he drops into the hole, lets Gomez go a little bit deeper to try and get the ball from the rune. Um, Luis Muriel okay. is one of those one of those strikers or one of those forwards you could say who really just gets other people to be in the right positions at the right times. He's that kind of forward. Okay, all right, Rishikesh, what do you think about uh, the defending defensive pair up? The two at the back or three at the back? How do they go? Anything? Any? I think Rafael Toloy has six assists from centre back. Um, I, I I can't get my head around that. Like. Who does that from center back? I mean, yeah, do you remember any prem, Premier I mean, League center back? I think the Sheffield Sheffield, Sheffield duo, the Sheffield trio do at that. Uh, but I think their defense is mainly contributed of the uh, the good rotational policy that they are having. Caldera, they have back on loan from AC Milan. They have Palomino. They have Rafael Tolai. So they are, they form a good base. They are confident okay. on the ball and they. Form a good base for them to go and attack forward, and obviously they are very good defensively as well. I yeah, it's see, also see. it's always good to see Matia Caldara's name in a positive situation for a change. I know yeah. he was once he was once touted as you know the jewel in uh, Juventus's defensive future. Him and uh, Daniel Rugani, uh, but then well, yeah, Rugani, he got uh, yeah. he got he got he got made into a pawn to get. Uh, Leonardo Bonucci back and then he went to AC Milan. He got injured, sort of in the winds about where he'd be. Then he's <clears throat> wound up at Atalanta on loan. And yes, he's probably only played about, um, I would say, I think eight matches, one as a sub. But, uh, you know, there, there are promising signs that he'll keep his fitness and maybe if Gasparini should probably be looking at him because I, I think one of the things that we sort of forget about Atalanta is that they're a team of players who've just reached their peak and maybe are going a little above that. The front three's average age is, what, 
30 is 31 years old um, yeah. elichich is 32 uh, gomez is 32 zapata is 29 muriel is 29 um the defense mm. has uh, palomino who's 30 they have rafael todoy who's 29 caldara who's 26 and yes it's the italian league and you know the you you age like a fine wine in Italy, but if they really want to put a charge through Europe, which I think they really do have the potential to do, maybe in the near future, I think maybe looking at some of the younger players who are in their team and you know giving them the chances to really perform at a higher level should be one of Gasparini's aims next season, perhaps. Okay, so you mentioned uh, the Champions League over there, and uh, I'd like to... Um, draw a few observations from what I've watched and what I've read. Um, for those of you who haven't followed Atalanta in the Champions League this season, they were on the brink of elimination after, say, three matches and even the halftime in the second half, uh, in the fourth match. Uh, they lost their first three games. They conceded ten goals, and they were looking hopeless in the co- competition. In fact, we had even written an article on El Artigal football in September last year about how they could be the dark horses. I think Peter had written that, Peter Lynch. And uh, both of us were quite ridiculed at the time uh, when we when the results were coming out, uh, like Atlanta this, Atlanta that. Uh, we expected them to be the dark horses. And they were, you know, uh, not performing very well. And then uh, against City, uh, in fact, uh, Pep Guardiola before the match said that Atlanta played with a lot of skill and precision. And at the same time, they also give you a lot of pain. I paraphrased his quote, but he said they gave them a lot of pain. So you can see even the great coaches in the world uh, know what to look forward to when they face Atlanta and that too at a time when they were on the brink of elimination. But they came back in the second half in the fourth match. Um, they made it one all and then they won the remaining two matches and then we know what happened in Valencia. Eight, fourth thrashing uh, yeah. for two legs. So basically this... Um, uh, what I draw from this is that they don't give up as a team. Uh, at one stage, uh, you know, during the pandemic, I read an article where it said they won 19 points from losing positions in the in Syria. So that's really cool. And I think um, uh, statistically speaking as well, they've scored 93 goals so far. Yeah, the highest after 34 games um, uh, in the Serie A since 1950. I think AC Milan oh back God. at the piece. 50 is somewhere. No one after 33 Serie A games um, reached that number of goals. And let me remind you, the offside rule was a very fluid and debated concept back then. Like people used to score for fun being out of position. We had no VAR, yeah. we had pitch side referees. So to put that into context now, that being mean, able to do that now is is it, it's it's quite yeah, scary. It's yeah, Aryan. So their wing backs are scoring. Their centre backs are giving assists. They have uh, five plus goals in s- more than six matches. They've backed seven goals in two or three matches. Scored eight over two legs in the round of 16. It's like, I don't know, I can't fathom these numbers for a team that really don't have that much of a financial backing. They're a small club. A provincial yeah, club. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's actually ridiculous. Uh, I mean, out of the top five leagues, uh, I think only Manchester City have scored as many goals as them and only Bayern Munich have scored more throughout Europe. Um, and uh, it's funny that, uh, I mean, Atalanta out of all these teams have the most games remaining to play. Obviously, the Bundesliga is already over. So, I mean, mm, never, yeah. there's a possibility that Atalanta might even overtake Bayern Munich and score the most goals domestically, which is actually, I mean, 
it's so impressive i'm really i'm really impressed by that yeah yeah okay so uh, max alegri uh, had an interesting quote about uh, gasperini so he said um, you know james horncastle was interviewing him for the athletic he said uh, italy usually coaches uh, it- italian coaches usually ask their players to double up on their players but gasperini is right the opposite he goes one on one and the theory behind this is uh, zonal marking and doubling up basically hides the uh, shortcomings of lesser players whereas going one on one you know uh, makes the greater players look even better because their strengths are being utilized so that was quite an interesting uh, perspective from max allegri who's obviously a legend in his own right um, rishikesh uh, you have any more thoughts on this concept this system that they implement yeah i mean uh, i mean we have talked a lot about the tactical system already but what what is uh, what is the good use of a tactical system if the players don't really implement it right right so they the uh, i have read a few interviews of what gasperini was saying and his one quote really stood out for me and he said in that quote he said that the, those big players who aren't used to working hard they really scare him so he means that he wants people to work hard and he has uh, yeah. he wants them to adapt to their philosophy they want he they want he basically wants winners in his team and it it's showing right yeah. now i mean they are absolutely smashing it mm. I think it's yeah, a domino so effect fine. of last season as well because they I I believe they ended up third last season at the end of Serie yeah. A. Yeah. So so yeah. basically what, what that shows is that it's a mixture of it's a mixture of about three things. It's a mixture of um Gasparini's tactics. It's a mix it's um a thing of how much the players trust Gasparini's tactics because they've seen it working. And the third is you know having that ability when you when and you know obviously not speaking as a professional footballer but from whatever college level i've played is that when you have a manager and you completely believe in what they're saying you will unquestionably follow you know whatever they're saying and you know take it to the letter and put, put your body on the line for the team which is what really impresses me about the champions league qualification is that not qualifications that run so far is they remind me a lot of another italian blue and black team who went on to do really well in europe and that was the last italian team that won the champions league it was inter milan and it was jose mourinho's treble season there's yeah. a lot that reminds mm. me of that in terms of you know the the older god players putting their la- putting their body on the line for the tactics putting their body on the line for the manager and just just pushing on wherever they can and obviously mourinho's team interesting played- to mention that uh because sorry to break you there i mean when you said about when, when you said that uh, they put their body on the line and um, i just saw a few of the stats um uh, they won nine matches with a one goal lead so mm-hmm. you know uh, player teams who managed to you know get that result despite not playing the best i think they are really um set up for greatness i mean if they can win when they are not playing well like they won nine matches so they have those uh, pumping 7-0 5-0 4-0 but they also you know grind out results which Absolutely. is a, yeah which is quite yeah reminiscent of the inter team 2010 which also right. once which also brings me to i think in my opinion the most important atlanta game this season and i don't think a lot of people would agree with me it's the post restart um match against lazio which atlanta won 3-0 they were 2-0 down um you know they suffered uh, an own goal from derun which was 
Unfortunate in the grand scheme of things, then, you know, a, a lovely thumping goal by uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. And as just as a reminder to everybody listening, Lazio in second position right now. They were being touted to take over Juventus at this point. Atalanta were fourth okay. and were like just about fourth. And, you yeah. know, Lazio were countering. Atalanta couldn't defend it. They were getting be- behind their fullbacks as, as you would do to try and attack a, a three-the-back system. You know, get behind the fullbacks, stretch the centre-backs out wide. But Atlanta just kept their heads up, kept their heads on the prize because for them it wasn't about two nil. It was about okay, this is nil. All we still need to score. And yeah, yeah. Gosens Gosens got a beautiful header off of Hattenbos cross, and that might have been you know Atlanta's most pivotal goal because yeah. from okay. then Palomino just about got the winning goal when you know I think it was another Hattenbos cross just hit him just at the right at the just at the right point. He did. He just had to like tilt his head back and got into uh, the bottom right of Lazio's goal. And what this did in the grand scheme of the Italian Serie A's, Lazio were 21 matches undefeated to this point. 21 matches. And they were mm. still second. This brought a run, end to Lazio's run. And I don't think Lazio have really recovered since then. They've gone on to draw. Yeah, they're, they've gone to yeah. they're, they're fourth right now. And Atalanta yeah. are second. So in this match, in the grand scheme of where we are right now, Atalanta were fourth, not being able to hold on. Lazio was second, looking for the title. Now look what's happened. Mm. Atalanta are fourth and Lazio are second there. What, four points behind uh, Juventus right now? Six. Six. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I wouldn't put it beyond Juventus to, you know, maybe make this interesting. I, I feel like Juventus have a lot of a bad loss and a draw, you know, uh, on coming in the future. They haven't been playing well. They've been Atlanta yeah. very unlucky to lose to them. They got two, one very fortunate penalty and another and you know, probably fair penalty. Lose. Sorry to cut you there. They didn't lose. They drew two all. They drew yeah. two all. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Arjun, what about you? Yeah, yeah. So, match you want to discuss? Absolutely. So I, I, I agree with Ritik about the Lazio game. Uh, surprise, surprise! Another great Hosen's performance, but. Uh, the other uh, few games I'd like to talk about is uh, their, I mean, this is uh, their 5 nil win over AC Milan. Um, I think that was Milan's heaviest defeat since 1998. Oh, God. Yeah. And, uh, mm. I mean, mm. they absolutely dominated Milan. They had about 19 shots on goal or something and 11 of those were on target. Another wonderful performance in that game by Hosens. I believe he got a goal as well. Um, then uh, you have okay. 7-0 away win versus Torino. Uh, in fact, uh, this is the first time uh, in Torino's Serie A history that they've conceded seven home goals in one home game. So, my God. yeah, I mean, they've yeah. just been shattering records left and right. Then there's a 2-0 win over Napoli. Which I mean, all of these games we were discussing before recording. And uh, I mean, mm. there you have uh, another 2 nil, very comfortable 2 nil win against a tough opposition. I mean, since the restart, Napoli have looked uh, pretty decent. They've lost just one game. And uh, there you have another yeah. uh, goal in that game. And uh, coming back to Pasalic, if I may, um, I mean, we also we talked about how, uh, I mean, Gasparini has these players who are willing to work hard for him and, you know, die for the badge. So, to have that mentality for a player like Pasalic, he was at Chelsea for six years and he didn't play a single game for them. 
So I mean to bounce okay. back from that, and I mean the way he's rewarding Gasparini's faith in him is absolutely insane. I mean to bounce back from that, and uh, when you look at him first, he doesn't strike you as the most technical player, you know, a dribbler or a I mean a p- very fluid playmaker. But he's so intelligent. He gets into goal-scoring positions. He's got about nine goals and three assists in Serie A. And uh, I mean that game yeah. versus Brescia the other day, he scored a hat trick. So he's just been amazing. Nice. Yeah, nice. I think I think uh, those yeah. games are those games are also very very you know in the grand scheme of things very important to show how how you know powerful Atlanta are because the main thing is while the opponent might score, we just have to score more of them. And Atlanta's greatest strength is to finish the chances they create at a better percentage mm. than other teams. I remember when I was yeah. um, when I was looking at the uh, Valencia game. This is the second leg, uh, the four-one. Um, Valencia didn't didn't just sit back. They just created a lot of chances. They just couldn't finish. Their front line just didn't click. And Atlanta just, you know, pushed on and pushed on. And I think I, I think that that game, Valencia's backline just got stretched out from the backs, stretched out from the center. The defensive midfield couldn't give them any cover. And the four-one result, you know, was uh, was a fair reflection of Atlanta's performance, but maybe not a fair reflection of kind of the chances created. But I come to this match specifically because there's a bit of a tragic element. And, you know, with all Italian teams and Italian stories about football we love, there's an element of suffering, there's an element of elation, there's an element of tragedy. And this game, Atalanta versus Valencia, is being described by many as game zero. So this was the, the match that lit the yeah. COVID crisis. COVID. Yeah, this was the COVID exactly. crisis because I remember yeah. Gazzato Della yeah. Sporto called uh, this uh, game zero. And it, it was held two days before the first case of locally transmitted COVID-19 was confirmed in Italy. You know, in the grand scheme of things, you did know that this was happening. There was a big cloud over, you know, those champ- those fixtures. In Ideally, they shouldn't have happened. But, you know, a third of Bergamo's pop- population, Bergamo's a small, small province. Um, yeah. Population third of their population probably made the trip to Milan because, again, if the listeners are unaware, um, Atalanta's stadium isn't big enough to host Champions League fixtures, especially in the knockout round. So, yeah. they're playing in Inter and AC Milan San Siro. And it's very interesting. It's the only the only Italian team who are playing in the San Siro um, in the Champions League now are a team in blue and black, but they, they aren't Inter. But, yeah, so, at Game Zero uh, point, um, uh, since then, 7,000 people in Bergamo tested positive for COVID-19. More than 1,000 died, uh, whereas the Valencia region has witnessed more than 2,600 people infected from the deadly virus apart, like a week and then a month after it. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's very tragic to look at it. But it's also, you know, in the, in the larger scheme of where we are, you know, football is very important, but it's yeah. always... Wanna, we want to tell our listeners, whoever you are, is that you know it, it might be easing up, it might be letting up in some parts of the world you're from. We are far from okay. We are far from okay. And Project Restart yeah. where it's been, has been amazing because I think football's really come together and really been disciplined to show that you know we they can come together, they can provide the entertainment. Ma- the fact that matches okay. are even going on right now is a is a yeah. Is a is a gift, but I just wanted to bring that one point out uh, a, in terms of how well Atlanta performed, but b how it, how impo- how that match was very you know large yeah. important 
Yeah, it's made me a bit sad now, I think. Yeah, but uh, Rishikesh, uh, talking about the, sticking to the Champions League, uh, do you think um, they can reach the semis and maybe even go all the way to the finals? Uh, what's, what's happening? I mean, they play PSG. I mean, they play PSG now, right now, isn't there? And there will be only one leg. And PSG haven't played football for, I think, I mean, they are just starting to play friendlies. And I think they have two cup finals before they play the Champions League game. But, you know, the lack of math sharpness will show in the PSG team. And, uh, I mean, I won't rule out Atlanta at all. And uh, PSG can slip up in quarterfinals, as we all know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think they, they do have a shot of winning the game because there are a lot of factors. It's not just you know uh, clear as day that it's you know yeah. Atlanta versus PSG and so, uh, a lot of factors can contribute to it. I'm not sure about the league, but um, do teams press there? Are PSG used to facing teams pressing that high and trying to recover the ball so fast? <sighs> That's uh, I I don't think any team has successfully managed to do that <laughs> since. Um, since uh, the Monaco team, which had Bakayoko and Fabinho, no one's, no one, no one, no one's able to press PSG, and it's it's almost sad looking at um, uh, French football again. You know, it's they just can't press because what PSG have in spades right now is pace and passing ability. They have Neymar who's fit. They have Icardi who's fit. They have Di Maria who's fit. I think if, uh, the neutrals will want to see an, uh, you know, a great Atlanta thrashing, but it's going to be a hard game. It might be a very high-scoring game, but it will be a hard game. Okay. All right. So, I think, um, yeah, that was a really interesting discussion. Um, any closing thoughts, Aryan, on Atlanta or anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, uh, about the PSG game, I'd say that the most important thing is that Atalanta's biggest tactical strength is their uh, variation and it's then their, I mean, uh, their versatility. Fluidity. So, yeah, fluidity. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be very tough for any team over one leg to be able to gauge them out and adapt to their tactics and perform accordingly. So, I think. And this is a very bold prediction. I'm taking it one game at a time, but I have a very strong feeling that Atalanta could genuinely defeat PSG and make it through to the semis. Bold call, bold call, bold call. Very bold. I might, I might, <laughs> might come back to bite me, but I've just gone out and said it. Hey, we got bold here already, ADF. <laughs> yeah, uh, Rishikesh, what about you? Anything else? Okay, so uh, I have a, I have a t- completely different topic that I would like to share some thoughts about about Atlanta only, but I think we haven't touched it, and I think their business in the transfer match market has been absolutely sensational since Casperini has joined. I mean, in the first season when they finished fourth, they lost their three best players in like Conti, Casey, and Gagliardini to uh, I mean, Casey uh, to AC Milan, Conti to AC Milan, and Gagliardini to Inter, and uh, and. And that season, they didn't quite really replace them well. So, that's why they finished a bit low due to the whole Europa League situation. But after that, they have bought really, really... They have done really, really good business. I mean, for the price that... For the money they are paying to their players. I mean, they have the wage structure the same as Reading, who are like a lower mid-table team in the championship. championship and they yeah. are now one of... They are now one of Europe's best teams at that wage structure, which is actually very, very, I mean, it's absolutely insane. 
and the business they have done is also very very good i mean they bought gosens for less than 1 million and we all have talked a lot about him how good he is i mean mm. and they have uh, they have invested in a really uh, they have invested it really well i mean they have bought players who suit the tactical system and they have continued to build on what they have they they have continued to build on what they did in the 16 17 season it gasperini's first season at atlanta i mean most of the managers they somehow i mean they have a fairy tale and it comes to an end like leicester city did like uh burnley when they were in the europa league now they are i mean they are close to it but the next season they really faltered and were looking close to relegation but what they have taken is they haven't been flattered by their position they have made a habit of building on it and they are constantly on a upward on an upward trajectory since then so i think that's the mark of a really really well run football club with a very good manager at the helm and i think i think they also i mean they can win the italian league in uh, in the near future if all things go well okay. yeah one other great, player great. i want to uh, hammer in again because this i mean from a performance aspect this has been a fantastic season for small argentine forwards i mean yeah. you've seen an incredible renaissance from paulo dybala you've seen despite all of what what's been happening with his club lionel messi is having an, another fantastic season in terms of output but i think papu gomez is the man i think is the man i know um josep ilicic one athletic serie a player of the year but for me yeah. i think alejandro gomez has been something else i think he's never played i think the only senior game he's played for argentina was a world cup qualifier i can't even remember who it was against but the reason i bring him up is because i think it with an interview with um tuto sport and i could be wrong on the source on this um when asked about you know his positional flexibility he he said something oh. which i never thought about he said i look at where where the referee is Where's the referee? Yeah. He always thinks of the ball is, and he keeps tight to him. And you know, people are always scared to pass directly at the referee. They'll try and pass around him. And I just thought that how did nobody think of this? And uh, when I watch the games back and I see his proximity, I was like, "This is fantastic." He's keeping one eye on the ref mm-hmm. and he's keeping one eye on the spaces. And then the ball comes to him because he's just ready to receive it. It's just these little, little things that he's been doing. And he did this last season, and he's doing it this season. Yes, he might be in the twilight of his career in terms of being age thirty-two, and yes, Argentina are blessed with attacking talent. But I think Papu Gomez deserves. I mean, this is this is just like the outsider neutral in me. I, I'd love to see Papu Gomez put on put on the Argentine jersey because he's refu- he's refused in the past to play for Italy. He as 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 with all Argentines, um, they have you know some citizenship anywhere. I know even Gonzalo Higuain could have been eligible to play for Italy. Uh, Messi has Spanish citizenship, but I digress. It's that Gomez could really like I can see him doing damage for three or four more years, and that's uh, obviously an yeah, optimistic yeah. thing. But he's he's for a man his age to be playing with such intensity, game in and game out, six goals, sixteen assists, is is Great. just phenomenal. Uh, if i may just uh, add a few things just uh, just a few final words about gomez uh, yeah i was about yeah, yeah, to make that interview uh, it was with elpes in fact uh, so 
he talked about this uh, he always said that uh, the referee is his point of reference because he's always best placed and uh, he's always alone like rithik said yeah so that's an amazing observation and the fact that uh, atalanta play the least through the middle is what i think makes uh, gomez the most dangerous because not having gomez as a focal attacking point at times takes attention away from him and that's where he thrives and that's where he can really hurt the opposition so yeah he's been absolutely amazing Great. and you guys have been amazing too thank you for joining me in the podcast today we look forward to having you back in the future again for those of you who haven't watched atlanta play we recommend that you give it a try because i promise you it's always very entertaining to watch this outfit play So thanks again for joining us and we look forward to meeting you again next week.